Thank you so much, friends, for coming to the podcast. It's episode 61 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it's brought to you by the best mouthguard ever invented for high-impact sports or activities. I'm talking about Sisu mouthguards. You could head on over to sisuguard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity, and I promise you, you will never get a better mouthguard. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. All with the mouth guard up in your mouth. It protects your chompers like nobody's business. Sisu Mouthguards brings you episode 61 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. Our mothership. We're all part of the Sports Daily Network and damn proud of it. You can find us there. Also, tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we're not like the rest. We're an outlier. We're not here to laugh a lot and talk about our day and our hair and overwhelm you with our insidery mother's basement knowledge of MMA. We just get down to the down and dirty. So let's talk about how bad the main event was last <laughs> night at UFC 209. You had uh, Tyron Woodley keeping his title in a what was it? Majority, majority decision. Majority decision. Uh, he, he had one judge had it a draw and one judge had it three rounds to two Woodley. The, both, the, both the other ones had, had three, three, to two. three to two Woodley. Yep. Your thoughts? I, I thought it was crazy because uh, to me, the draw made sense. If you want to give Woodley a draw because you wanted to make that fifth round a 10 8, I understand that, but I just can't see how you give him any round one, two, or four. Let's go over it real quick. Woodley absolutely won rounds three and five. Absolutely. Unquestionably. Round three was the one where he took him down. Don't know why he wasn't doing that the whole fight. He did it in round one of the first fight. Whatever. Okay, let's get past that. He took him down in round three, absolutely won round three. He rocked him in round five, absolutely won round five. And then rounds one and two had so little action but uh wonder boy controlled the octagon yeah and and, and if for all those people there who were, who were thinking about how the hell do you score this round i mean the criteria which really, round one one or two okay yeah one or two when you read the gra- the criteria it says effective striking and grappling and if that's a tie which you could say rounds one and two were then it's aggression and octagon control, and you can't tell me that's a tie. So let me tell you in the overall, though, why I'm f- so fine with this and want to move on and never talk about Wonderboy Woodley. I give Woodley a 10-8 fifth round, and I'll tell you why. The lack of activity from rounds one through four, to me, what happened in round five becomes a 10-8. Yeah, it yeah. was the only moment of dominance well, or prolonged dominance in the whole fight. So to me, at the very best, Woodley probably... It, it was a draw, 47-47. I said this. I wouldn't have even cared if they took all that shit into account and they said Woodley won with 10-8s in the third and the fifth. Right. I, I would have been fine with him winning that way. Mm-hmm. But to both the judges who had it for Woodley had him winning that second round. And all I can think of him doing in that second round, and maybe I have to go back and watch it again, although I don't hate myself that much. Right. All he did was he punched Wonder Boy in the chest like three times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's it. So here's the thing, though. At the very least, I think we could say this. Getting past the judging scorecards and everything else, uh, Wonder Boy has not done enough to take away the title from Tyron Woodley. I, I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not upset that Wonder Boy is not the champ because 
as much as we hate the inactivity from Woodley, dude, all Wonder Boy had to do was put it on him a couple of times. Right, there. and he didn't do that either. It, they were both very tentative. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, there was. There's fighting smart. And then there's whatever the hell that was. You know, I mean, it was scared. We it's- talked about this in episode one or two, and it was actually a point you brought up, which was in this age of the instant rematch, it's very, uh, we're at the highest level of MMA we've ever had in the history of UFC. Fighters are better. Fight camps are better. Judging isn't better, Prep- unfortunately. Prepping is better. Prepping is better. So you're getting these razor-close decisions. You know, in retrospect, and this is hindsight 2020 because I was excited about the rematch, maybe we didn't need this rematch because both guys were so familiar with each other. They came out so, uh, you know, just careful and calculated. In retrospect, it could have been Woodley versus Maya, which Maya is deserving. Wonder Boy goes and fights someone else, maybe like a Robbie Masvidal. Lawler. And, or Masvidal. Or Masvidal. And you come back to it in a year, next yeah, November. I mean, you're right. Hindsight's twenty twenty on that one. And, and to me, there was just no way to know that those two were going to fight like that. Yeah. I mean, neither of them has ever fought like that before like I, I did think there were moments where Woodley fought like that in the first fight moments though. moments but moments. then he also had that amazing round four yeah you know but I think the fact that Wonder Boy won round five and uh, Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz brought this up that maybe that was the in the back of Woodley's mind why he came out the, so the last time he fought him yeah fought, yeah but um that being said I you know we always say what do we do next here's what I do next Gumby I'll kick it to myself Pull Maya from the fucking Masvidal fight. Woodley barely took any damage. You could do Woodley versus Maya in June or July. You could stack it in the International Fight Week. It could headline the Fight Pass show. You could do whatever you want with it. I'm I'm just going to counter that for a second because when's Demian Maya's fight with Masvidal? May. May. Why does he need to fight Masvidal? He, I mean, do- he, do- he doesn't. He doesn't. It, it's well He's documented. earned he the title shot. It, you know what? And it should have been him now. So you could do Wonder Boy versus Masvidal. You could do Wonder Boy versus Lawler. To me, Damian Maya does not have to fight one more time for a title shot. It's his title but, shot. But you could also say this. So if I, I don't remember the exact day of his fight, and, and maybe we could look that up. I'll look it up. If, if he goes out against Masvidal and does exactly what he did against Carlos Condit, which, let's be honest, that's what we're all expecting, right? Mm-hmm. We're expecting him to take him down, smother him, and tap him out in like a freaking minute. And if he does that, just like he did to Carlos Condit, he can still fight in July. That's two months away. That's plenty of time mm-hmm. for Damian Maya. I don't know. I mean, that's. I think you're asking for a lot, though, that he's just going to come out of that completely unscathed. I mean, he's come out of every single one of his last Why? Two but he doesn't. Unscathed. He doesn't need to do this fight. He's I, earned the I, title I agree shot. With that. The, the Masvidal. And here's another one. They gave, in the press conference yesterday or two days ago. Sorry, the day before UFC 209, GSP is getting the title shot at middleweight. Dana White said because they already had this Woodley versus Wonderboy fight booked. I, you know what? I don't really need to see GSP Bisping. Yeah, it was an entertaining press conference. Give GSP the welterweight title shot again. Have him fight Wonder uh, Woodley. Yeah, I, I mean, have anybody fight Woodley. I, I mean, like- listen, this goes to a larger discussion, and the UFC matchmaking-wise so far this year, it's been a little wonky. The past two pay-per-views from a main event standpoint, obviously such bad luck with Ferguson and Ermagomedov yeah. getting canceled. But I, I don't know. I just think, you know, they they should not be beholden to anything. The Maya Masvidal fight, I can promise you no one has bought tickets from halfway around the world to come into that. You could pull Maya from that. You can pull GSP from Bisping. It, I don't know. I, I don't know that you can pull GSP from Bisping. There's no date for it. So no one's bought I, a ticket I for it. I know that there's no date for it, but the hype surrounding it 
seems to be building, and I do think, despite my initial feeling about how that fight went, that that is a big money fight. I do think that now, now that they've booked it and I've seen the hype happen, I, I think the money is there, which I didn't think would be before. Because in general, I never found GSP all that like exciting. Well, you know, like, a- he's a technical wizard. But he's not all that exciting. I mean, if you want to talk money fights, I agree with you. I'm not saying that Woodley versus GSP is an instant money-making fight. Probably less so. Although Woodley has turned himself into quite the heel. Yeah, uh, but I don't, I don't think he, he gained a whole bunch of viewers but last night. But you know what? Listen, GSP's last title de- defense and pay-per-view headline versus uh, Hendricks in November of 2013 was 600,000 buys, which wasn't astronomical for a GSP or a Brock Lesnar or what we're used to Ronda Rousey, uh, Conor McGregor doing. And Bisping's last pay-per-view main event was about 390,000 versus Dan Henderson going out on basically what was his retirement fight before that versus Luke Rockhold, late injury replacement. Can you really blame that on Bisping? That only did 300,000. So let's say Bisping's good for 350. GSP's last fight was good for 600. I mean, you're not, it's not, Necessarily, I think the clash on mega of the words though will probably bring that up because before GSP, you're right. You know, lower numbers against Hendricks, but Hendricks isn't a trash talker either. You know, like you, he's up against like who's turning himself into one of the better trash talkers in all of MMA. That like, press conference thing. was funny. I, I mean, I, I watched it and it, it was good, but. I think he's selling the fight very well. Here's the point. I think we got off on a wrong tangent going with the G. My point is, is that all bets are off right now in the welterweight division. They could do whatever they want. There's no reason to be beholden to anything because what they have isn't that great. Maya Masvidal, it is what it is. It's Maya's title shot, though. If you want to put GSP to go reclaim his welterweight title, they could do that, too. I don't think GSP Woodley versus GSP Bisping, what? 80k 100k swing in pay-per-view buys maybe it's not going to be a ton in the age of mcgregor and uh ronda i don't i mean it's just like whatever else you have you're not talking about anything over a million buys no not not right now so whatever it is what it is let's talk about the rest of the card uh, unless you want to say anything else about Woodley versus Wonderboy. No, oh, here's the only thing I'll say about uh, Woodley. Like, I wanted to say, I want to do a WWE reference. The Honky Tonk Man was the Intercontinental Champion in the late 1980s. He was a bad guy. He would cheat to win. He held on to the title for a solid year until the Ultimate Warrior squashed him. That's a wrestling term for beat him really quickly. People paid to see the Honky Tonk Man get beat up. Woodley has become so annoying to certain fans with his online comments to the way he defended his title last night. I do think there's almost like a bad publicity is good publicity. You know, like I think you're going to get where people are like, I got to see this guy get his ass kicked. Maybe a Lawler, a GSP, not Wonder Boy again. Um, I do. I actually think I would pick Woodley versus Maya, but there is something to that. I just wanted to say yeah, maybe. that he's kind of turned himself heel. All right. Uh, the co-main event. Very exciting. Uh, David uh, Tamor versus Lando Venata. Lando, uh, Lando, right. Uh, yeah, David Tamor winning by decision. What were your thoughts? Uh, I was a little surprised that the scorecards came out 30-27 on all ones, but I definitely had it at least 2-1 to one for David Tamor. Same here. Yeah, and uh, I thought Lando probably still won in there. It was incredible how good Tamor's striking was. And those knees to the body were some of the most those insane. Brutal. And I mean, it looked like he was hitting a heavy bag. And Veneta just ate it, too. It didn't even seem to affect him. And you could say that about both of them for the entire fight. Is that, like, 
uh, there were moments where one of them would land, and I'd be like, oh, shit. And I'd just, like, wait for, like, a follow-up, and they'd just square off like they were both feeling fine. And I would be like, they landed so flush so many times, and both of them just walked through it. I mean, I think that puts Tamer on a three-fight win streak in the UFC. He's beaten Martin Svensson, Jason Novelli, and Orlando Veneta. He's 3-0 and in the UFC. you got to imagine he's ranked now. 6-1 and one as a pro. Where, I was going to ask you, where do you go with both fighters? Because let's not give up on our boy Lando yet either. I mean, he's still very good. Shit. I mean, like, yeah, Lando's still got, like, a lot of promise there. Uh, it's harder to pick somebody for him because he is still a prospect, right? He's 24 years old. He had the tough loss loss against uh, tough luck loss against Ferguson on a short notice. Yeah, and Tam- against McDessie. Tamor, by the way, I just want to say is twenty seven. Still, oh, you know, still young. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, but I would say for him, he's earned himself. Uh, what's Ally Aquinta fighting Diego Sanchez? He, he earned himself the winner of that one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, and that would be a fun fight to watch him fight. You know, Ally Aquinta's got a little bit better wrestling. Um, I actually kind of wish I saw Lando wrestle a little bit more. I know he's got a wrestling background, but. Uh, he, he really trusted his striking. And it, interesting that that, that fight uh, went that way. He was like a 3-1 to one underdog. And I want to bring this up. I think Dominic Cruz's performance has been universally praised as the third man in the booth. And I oh, thought so l- good. last night during that fight, uh, he was invaluable. I thought he brought up so many good points. And then I thought Anik had a better night than he did at 208. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. I think Cruz was talking about how the takedowns basically canceled themselves out in that fight. Uh, because they each got one, but there was no real obvious control on the ground, just quick takedowns, both guys pop, pop back right up. And then Anik chimes in with, yes, Dominic, they are each one for one on take, or whatever the stat yeah, he, was. He just shot the, the stat. That's what I'm looking for out of that play-by-play position uh, from just the, the UFC. The, the, the fight metric guy give me the, the Yeah, give me the fight metric guy in the corner, kind of like Stat Boy on PTI almost. Exactly. And then I thought Cruz and Rogan just, it was like watching two friends ta- at a very high level talk about the fight they were watching. And, and that was crazy to me, too, because in, in my, uh, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong on this, somebody could correct me on this, I don't know if Cruz and Rogan have ever worked together in anything. They haven't. Or, I, he, and I've never heard them Cru- like, on a well, podcast. No, 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 no. Cruz did Rogan's podcast last week oh, in last preparation week. for this, and they had a great podcast. I'm sure they did. I mean, because they're two of the most knowledgeable guys I've ever heard in my life. And actually, we could use this as a segue to the next one, because I thought... You know, if we're moving down the card, I thought his best performance, Cruz's best performance, was Dan Kelly's win over Rashad Evans. Which was a split decision win for Dan Kelly. Yeah, Yeah. and I I had it 29-28 for Dan Kelly, too. Sure. I I had Dan Kelly win in that one, so I don't think they got that one wrong. But the the awesome thing from Cruz there was, was twofold. Number one, he was able to separate himself out from being Rashad Evans' friend to analyzing Rashad Evans' fighting, which is so amazing to me, because I know how hard that probably is. He's on the desk with freaking Rashad all the time. And he openly said, Rashad Evans' corner is wrong. He's not winning this fight, uh, which is awesome. And then on top of that, the, the second thing was the way that he broke down Dan Kelly's offense, um, particularly on the striking, talking about how he was using his feet to be outside of Rashad's feet so that he could throw the left hook behind it. Um, and, and it just from a guy who knows a lot about grappling being me here, I know a lot about grappling. I know very little about striking. And I felt like I learned like three things listening to Dominic Cruz. I also felt that in that fight too, I really appreciated, um, 
Rogan said something about how unique Dan Kelly's trips were, the judo trips. Oh, and, so and, and he, you know, Rogan threw that out there. You don't really see the front kick being the lead kick to get that trip. And then, so Rogan throws that out there. In the Goldberg era, we just move on. And yeah, Goldberg, or, or says, Goldberg says something about, <laughs> makes a pun about trips. Exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of trips, Dan Kelly went to France last summer. So whatever. <laughs> but then Cruz said, well, the reason that is, Joe, is because one is southpaw and one is conventional. And that's why the lead leg set, starts the trip. And I'm just like, this is awesome. He's building upon what Rogan usually throws out there. And you're really getting a more high level uh, MMA discussion. So that being said, we were happy with the decision. And what do you do next with a veteran Rashad Evans? And what do you do with a, I guess, I mean, he's not per se a prospect because he's a little older, but what do you do with 38 or 39? Yeah. I think he's pushing 40. But he's like six and one now, right? And he's he, on a four, four fight, fight win streak or a five fight win streak. Uh, the that? intern will look that up right now. What do you do with each of them? God, uh, Rashad Evans, I think you got to push down the line and see if he can beat anybody at 85. Give him, you know, uh, give him somebody new, you know, and I'm talking like fairly new. Like, you know, the guy we've had on the show twice here, Gerald Mearshart, would be a great test mm. for him. The guy's experienced, so he deserves to fight. I mean, he's got like 30 fights. He's got a great grappling game, and he's a good boxer. With Dan Kelly, I think you got to give him one of the top guys in the division <laughs> soon. Like, he, he is 6-1 and one in the UFC, and on a four-fight win streak, his one loss, TKO to Sam Alvey. Yeah, I would say who everybody gets knocked out by Sam Alvey, but... I would say if you hadn't already booked him, I'd put him against freaking Robert Whitaker in Australia, being that they're both Australians. But Robert Whitaker got booked last night uh, with Jacare, so so that's not going to happen. But somebody of that quality, I think. Uh, wait, I don't know. I think uh, Jacare's got uh, Brunson, does he not? No, he. they booked him with Robert Whitaker last night during the... the um, during the broadcast, the pay-per-view I thought, broadcast. I thought um, I saw Brunson. It's the co-main event with... Oh, okay. uh, Wilson Hayes, Mighty Mouse Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I, my eyes must have been deceiving me. We moved down the card. Women's strawweight offering. Uh, Cynthia Cavello uh, defeated Amanda Cooper via rear naked choke in about three minutes. Freaking crazy transition there, too, when uh, Amanda Cooper went in for the takedown to counter off the grappling in that flip. Um, but, you know, to me, Cavillo's uh, grappling was just on another level, and she's going to be really exciting to watch in the future. Alistair Overeem defeated Mark Hunt via KO, vicious knee to the face in the third round. Uh, I think he also injured Mark Hunt's shin very quickly into yeah. the first round with that kick. Uh, so I think that affected uh, Mark Hunt's power. Uh, but what do you think of that? What did you think of that performance? And where do you go with both veterans next? I think that that just showed off the development of Overeem's game. I, I mean, I think that that's. That proved to me that he still belongs in the top there, and it looks bad for Mark Hunt. I mean, I I don't want to say that his career's over, but it seems like we're getting to like the Andre Arlovsky place with him. He had his really good run, and now it just kind of seems over as far as the title picture is concerned. Right, like it, it doesn't seem like he's going to come back from this. Uh, I want Mark Hunt versus um, Derek Lewis. Yeah, I'd watch that, uh, especially because you know Derek Lewis uh, is is uh, the kind of guy who's good on the ground, but he's he gets a little brutal on the feet. So it'd be an interesting style clash. I'd like to see Overeem versus Naganu now. Ooh, that's uh, good. Because that's cause, good. Because to me, I like that. Fight. I mean, Overeem's fought everybody in that top four, right? Like right. repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. Let's give him. 
let's give him Naganu. Let's see how Naganu does with Overeem, and it's a great tier test for Naganu. All right, we'll go through this lightning quick, Gumby, on the prelims. Heavyweight fight, bit of a sluggish contest. Marcin Tibera beat Luis Enrique via TKO. Uh, that was another shining point for Cruz. That's all I would say is he was giving me a lot of information on cage walking. And, and the and underhook. The cage and the underhook and the overhook. Um, apart from that, I mean, you're right, kind of a sluggish fight. One of the only sluggish fights I thought in the whole night. Funnest fight of the night. Darren Elkins beat Merced Bechtek. What a comeback. Comeback uh, of the year. If that doesn't win comeback of the year at the end of the year awards, in, and we're in fucking March right now, if that doesn't win comeback of the year at the MMA awards 2017, there's a crime because that was insane. Bechtek really controlled the grappling in the first two rounds, and then in the third, he had a little trouble getting takedowns. Darren Elkins made him pay for it. The knockout was vicious. Um, Bechtek landed on his head, his legs up in the air. Oh, my God. I think people underestimate how much that right injured him before the head kick, too, because I'm not even sure the head kick landed. Uh, it, it I think it got his neck. Made, yeah, You're it right. Like it didn't get his the right hand was yeah, the one that did the damage. vicious. Um, great fight though. Go back and watch the replay. Bantamweight. Uh, Ayuri Alcantara beat Luke Sanders after Sanders was winning this fight. Alcantara pulls out a kneeba, a kneeba in the second round when Sanders had his back. He left his leg there in the middle, and that was all she wrote. All I could think of was the the whole fight. Joe Rogan in. Uh, Cruz kept being like, I don't know why Alcantara isn't moving. He's got no avenue from there. And all I could think of to myself was, because I know a little bit about grappling, I guess he could roll for a knee bar there. And he didn't for two full rounds almost until he did. And then it was perfect. So maybe he was just biding his time. But he took an ass load of punishment in the meantime. Yeah, I'm still very impressed with Luke Sanders. I think that was a momentary lapse of judgment I mean, he, just he in the, the way he attacked. He beat the pants off Alcantara for eight minutes. I thought it was going to be stopped at one point when he was just landing those unanswered shots from the, uh, the ref threatened from Top Turtle. Oh, name of the show! I feel like we're in a movie when they name the name of the movie. <laughs> it's the Perfect Storm. All right, uh, at heavyweight, Mark Godbeard defeated Daniel Spitz uh, via decision. Yeah, I, another sluggish heavyweight fight. Uh, I wasn't super impressed with either of them i thought spitz's gas tank was going to be better but it wasn't um a little disappointing light heavyweight tyson pedro defeated friend of the show paul craig via tko with elbows yeah i i called this one ahead of time too uh, i just think tyson pedro is like that next level light heavyweight talent he's just so athletic in addition to having some really good coaching he started working with jackson wink and i mean i think he's only 25 or 26 so super exciting prospect there at light heavy and at bantamweight Albert Morales defeated Andre Sukumta. There you go. Via split decision. Sukumta. Yeah, I was big on Sukumta. That was a fun fight, at least. Uh, Interesting striking exchanges. It was just silly that the striker who was getting the better end of the striking uh, wound up losing by grappling and falling into grappling. So um, kind of a weird fight, but but fun nevertheless. All right, so that was UFC 209 in a nutshell, and we would be remiss not to just end on this, Gumby. The bummer of the week. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a rough year well, here, man. First well, of all, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. I freaking hate the Patriots. <laughs> then UFC 208 in Brooklyn, which I was very excited about being from Brooklyn, thought about going to the show, ends up being headlined by Holly Holm versus Jereen Durandamy. No thank you. And, and it then, was a brutal fight. And it was a brutal fight. And then here I am. I am so excited for maybe the best matchup in the history of the UFC. We do an hour and a half preview on it. I rewatched. <laughs> that, that was the biggest bummer. <laughs> 
<laughs> I rewatched every one of their fights. Uh, Nurmagomedov doesn't make weight, gets in trouble making weight. Uh, by that I mean he got sick, had to go to the hospital. Dana White, he's a manipulative liar sometimes. I don't know if he was speaking the truth, but he said if uh, Habib's team had just reached out to the UFC and let them know what was going on, they maybe could have done some back-channel maneuvers to save the fight. Who knows if that's true? You have rumors coming out that they're trying to rebook it for 210 in uh, Buffalo next month. They can't go into May because then you have Ramadan. Tony, of course, called out Connor. Why wouldn't he? But where do we go from here? I, you know, I, I don't think you're going to like this either, but to me, I, I think Tony gets Connor. Uh, and just being that we're starting to get to a place where we got to have Connor fight soon, I think. Because, like you said, the pay per views haven't looked good as of yet. And, you know, before I would say, you know, well, maybe you can rebook that and you can give Connor Tyrone Woodley. Fuck, let him fight for another title. Who the hell cares? But Woodley doesn't sell anymore on that one, I don't think. Uh, I think that one is almost like a downplay to Connor McGregor. It's not a money fight for Connor McGregor. I think Tony, the way he shit talks, is enough to get people hyped for the fight. Um, you know, Tyrone Woodley got his title fight off of somebody missing weight and not being able to show up. Maybe Tony gets the same here. And, and you know, Khabib's – I would say you could do the same for Habib, but his reliability at this point has to be questioned. All right. Well, the one little nugget to come out of all of this was Tony did get his show money. He didn't get the win money. He didn't get the win. That's two fifty k though. That's not bad. That's uh, not a bad day. Two hundred fifty k was <laughs> to a go show. Get free tickets to the show. And he would have gotten two fifty to win. And Habib would have gotten five hundred thousand flat, win or lose. So just a little interesting there on two guys uh, climbing up the card as we. Uh, chronicled last week in our 90-minute preview. These are two guys <laughs> who, when Connor was main eventing Fight Pass in Dublin, being crowned the you know the next guy, these are two guys who were on like the Facebook prelims as recently as 2013. So there you go. That's 209 in a nutshell. All right, we will turn our attention now. We had a chance to catch up with Timothy Johnson, UFC heavyweight, and we will play you that interview now, but I would be remiss not to tell you that this interview is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp. It's a billion trillion infinity times stronger than cotton. Super durable, antimicrobial. I roll in their fight shorts all the time. They're my favorite pair of fight shorts that I have. If you're a gi guy or a gi gal, they also have hemp gis with a hemp belt on top of it. They have great reviews online. I highly encourage you to head on over to dsgear.com, check out their fight gear, and enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Tim Johnson. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking with Timothy Johnson, who fights Daniel Olmielanchuk at Ultimate Fight Night London on March 18th. Uh, Tim, before we get started talking about your, your next fight, let's talk a little bit about that last one. Um, you took a fight against uh, Alexander Volkov, former Bellator champion, heavily regarded. Uh, it was a split decision loss in the end, but what was your thoughts as they read that result in, in what was a razor-close fight? Um. You know, you always have an idea during the fight um, how it's how it's going. Um, that first round, obviously, I knew I won. Uh, the second round, I was like, okay, yeah, that round's mine too. And I, in my mind, I gave him that third round. And then, uh, you know, they were going as they're going through the judges right away. They said uh, one of the first judges, twenty nine, twenty eight for him. I'm like, all right, uh, okay. Then the next judge, twenty seven, thirty for me. I'm like, all right, there's no way that two judges here 
one judge sees me three rounds and two judges sees two rounds to him. Well, that was kind of a shocker when I, that was read off. Um, but you know, there was a, it, not much you can do about it now, but yeah, it was kind of a, I got home and rewatched the fight a couple of times. I was like, ah, I, I don't know where he won in that second round, but I'll give it to him, I guess. <laughs> does, does watching the fight over, I, I'm always curious about this. Does watching the fight over as a fighter, uh, you know, just make you more furious? Does it make you more hungry? Does it, are you just doing it so that you can find maybe where you went wrong? What, what is the motivation in, in the end result of that? Yep. I, uh, like I, I went into it. Uh, I watch it cause you know, I'm, uh, my biggest, uh, you know, critic so i will go in with open mind and um i'm always giving my opponent more mentally while well, i'm re-watching it than probably i should and as i was watching it you know probably the second or third time over i was just like ah, i still don't see that second round going to him so you know kind of kind of makes me angry and on more levels is like you know uh financially it's like well crap i feel like i just got my uh, back pocket robbed mm-hmm. absolutely and and you know you you mentioned that too but in the same regards, obviously, uh, the people who do the voting for the UFC rankings saw exactly what you saw because right after that happened, all of a sudden you're ranked in the top 15 and, and very rarely do we see somebody emerge into the top 15 coming off a loss. So they, they clearly saw that too. So now that you're ranked in the top 15, is that something that you, you pay attention to? Is that something that motivates you going forward? Um, no, it just kind of gives me an idea of where kind of where I'm at and where, uh, where the outside looking in's at, um, you know, um, 15 to, you know, 15 to seven. Um, I feel like any of those guys are kind of, are, I'd be able to go in there and put on a good show and, and have a pretty good chance of winning against those guys. Once you get six and above, and then it start to getting into that market where I'm like, okay, I really got to dig deep to find a win here. Yeah. And, and so you, you mentioned those guys all the way up to like six, seven, those numbers. Um, there's a lot of new guys on the block there too. You know, we've seen Francis Naganu take a very quick rise up the, the ranks. We've seen Derek Lewis get multiple headlining, uh, taps out there. A lot of people are talking about this like new breed of like super big heavyweight again, um, with those two. Those two are both right around your age. Do you see that yourselves as like their peers and, and expect to be moving up the rankings along with them? Yeah, I, I like to think so. I think me and uh, you know me and Derek were kind of on. I think we were on two cards together already. Um, and right when I signed after my uh, my uh, Shamil fight, I've kind of under the radar been kind of uh, wanting to get a fight with Lewis. But you know now that's going to be hard. He ain't gonna, he's not going to want to fight the guy, you know, as low ranking as me as where he's at. And that's kind of smart in his, on his half, you know, you don't where where he's at right now. When our fight puts him in a title contention, but um, yes, uh, I, I'd kind of see myself in line with those guys. And, and it's kind of interesting too, that you said you've been looking for a shot with him because you have sort of similar styles. You both have very menacing top games with, with really good ground and pound. And, and one would even argue that you probably put it to Shamil Abdurakimov worse than than Derek Lewis did it is that something that makes you think that yes you could definitely go in there and take out a top guy um yeah I just think I think our styles line up uh very well um you know I'm not even I'm a 180 uh you know I'm 180 degrees different than I was uh when I first you know came in the UFC two years ago um and that just goes to for experience wise you know I've only been training actually training training for like two and a half years so um like uh, my fight games changed quite a bit. Uh, I still think you know my wrestling base uh, would be a strong attribute in the fight with him. So that uh, that'd be something that we would uh, 
that I'd be looking forward to. And especially he's got such a name power right now that I'd like to attach myself to that name power. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hang on for a second there too, because you mentioned that you've only been training, training for two years. What's your definition of training, training versus what you were doing? Um, beforehand I was just, you know, uh, I was fighting, but I was only wrestling. Uh, like I was going to the fights and just wrestling. Um, then, um, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, if I want to make a run at this, I better, I probably should uh, actually start training the right way. So, you know, I found myself going to the gym more often, um, going to the classes and actually learning the sport, not just going out there and trying to take a guy down and then ball him. Um, and so, <laughs> Uh, I think I've come a long way a little bit in in that uh, in that uh, area. Well, and it, it's damn impressive that you made it as far as you did, you know, like you said, not taking very many classes and just leaning on that wrestling. Let's talk about that wrestling a little bit because, you know, back, you know, maybe five years ago in the Lesnar, Shane Carwin era, it seemed like all of the top heavyweights had like a, a solid D1 or, or high-level wrestling pedigree. That's kind of not there anymore. Apart from you and Kane Velasquez, the top 15 is pretty void of like college wrestlers. Do you think that's a changing of the time, or do you think that's an opportunity for you to to reach the dominance? Um, I think that's a changing of the times for sure. Um, any sport you look at, you, you take football for example. What what's a running back do? He's there for show. It's all about throwing the ball now, mm-hmm. and and sports are always evolving. And, you know, five like you said, five six years ago, it was uh, every every weight class was dominated by wrestlers. Um, and now it's like coming on full. It seems like now more, it's getting back to more of a boxing, dirty boxing, some kickboxing and having a good takedown defense is kind of where it's at right now. It seems like, yeah. And it seems but, like um, all of the people making the money, right? <laughs> yep. And now it's going to be, and, and that's just where it's at right now. And it will continue to evolve and you just got to evolve with it. Absolutely. And, and so that, that actually takes me perfectly to my next question because I wanted to talk a little bit about your opponent, Daniel Only Landchuk. Uh, he's known kind of for his stellar cardio and really, really good kickboxing. He started karate at like seven years old. Huge style clash for you two, you being a college wrestler, him being a kickboxer. Is this a match that you know that you have to get to the ground? Or are you comfortable throwing with you know what is known to be a really good kickboxer? Um, I'm comfortable throwing with him. Um, you know, my last few fights, you know, against his teammate when I fought Marcin in Croatia last year, and then, uh, you know, against Volkov, like, I put wrestling pretty much on the back burner just to keep it, you know, it's always there, and I have no problem throwing. You know, I got a hard head. I can eat a punch or two. <laughs> and we, we certainly have seen you hit a, eat a punch or two. <laughs> yeah. So, Tim, the last time we had you on, uh, we were very complimentary of your mustache. We always like it when a fighter has something that makes them stand out from the pack. There's 530 uh, fighters or so on the UFC roster, so we like to see it when someone, you know, can can make themselves kind of an outlier, something to stick out in the mind of a casual fan. So we're always big fans of your mustache, but I have to bring this up. Going to your Twitter page, which is at T-Bear-Tim, T-B-E-A-R-Tim, T-Bear-Tim, you put up a poll... Uh, a couple of weeks ago or actually last week is a hot dog in a bun or a piece of bread a sandwich i'm losing friends over this heated debate you said what ended up winning and what's the final answer is a hot dog in a bun um or a piece of bread a sandwich no there's no way it's a sandwich <laughs> a hot dog a hot dog is a hot dog do you like call it is a quesadilla sandwich absolutely is a hamburger not. sandwich absolutely not <laughs> all right you're making good yeah. points here you're making good points <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna close this one off by getting back to the fight game. Uh, you know, you fight Daniel Omiel Landchuk on March 18th. Uh, when you two step into the cage in London, uh, what's going down and what's your prediction for the fight? Um, I, uh, since he's coming off a loss, I'm coming off a loss. Um, I'm thinking he's gonna that first round is gonna have a lot. I think it's gonna have a lot of action, and you know, just on his part. Um, and I'm gonna keep pace with that, but um, it's gonna be. I'm going to try to push push the pace a little bit and get him get him kind of uh, get him out of his game plan as much as possible. Um, I'm going to try to do a little little bullying, but um, overall, it's just going to. I guess we'll have to just tune tune in and see. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, like, like my co-host said, Tim fights Daniel Omalenchuk at Ultimate Fight Night London on March 18th. Tim, we cannot thank you enough for the time. Uh, we know you're busy in preparation, and we wish you the best of luck in the fight. All right, thank you very much. All right, Gumby, there you have it. Tim Johnson. Yeah, I love Tim Johnson, and, and I have to say you definitely threw me for a loop with uh, with the sandwich question. I knew all of the questions that we were going to bring him. That one was was a little bit off topic. You know what? Like I said, I like when guys stand out. He, uh, I think he's doubled his Twitter followers since we first spoke with him. He used to have about 700. Now he's at 1,400. I encourage everyone to follow him at Tim. like I said earlier. Uh, very entertaining guy and, uh, you know, a potential rising prospect prospect in the heavyweight division in a division that's light on prospects absolutely i mean he's up like i said in the interview he's up to number 15 uh and that's coming off a loss so so clearly the ufc sees what they've got there all right gumby we'll turn our attention now this weekend we have another ufc fight card it's ufc fight night on fox sports one from fortaleza brazil uh you can uh it's trending now hashtag ufc who cares it's uh headlined by (laughs) (laughs) it's headlined by vitor belfort versus kevin gastelum at middleweight uh belfort is on a two fight losing streak Lost to Jacare, lost to Gegard via TKO. That's a tough couple of opponents, though, that being said. Sure, but he's also looked like shit. Uh, he's also a former steroid user, slash TRT, slash whatever you want to say. He looks deflated. Uh, he's going to be fighting Kevin Gastelum, who is a very exciting middleweight, even though he doesn't want to be at middleweight. Um, you know, Gastelum is a guy who I think we've all, coming off the tough uh show uh has been an up-and-coming prospect but just had a little trouble making weight now fighting pretty much exclusively a middleweight he, uh, he won the show at middleweight too though right did he win it or did uh our boy he beat your eye oh he beat yep. your eye yeah you're right you're right, you're right. Yep. so he and won then drop down then drop down uh he's on a two-fight win streak beat johnny hendrix uh back at ufc 200 and then at middleweight beat tim kennedy uh, at UFC 205, so he was on some pretty big cards last year, and now he's headlining versus Belfort. Who you got? I mean, everybody's got Kelvin Gaston. I mean, like, <laughs> he's, he's on the way up. He's got great wrestling. And, and what do you notice about the two people who just beat the piss out of Vitor Belfort? They have really good grappling. You know, it's like Jacare, great grappler, uh, outgrappled the piss out of Vitor. Uh, Gegard, excellent grappler, beat, beat Vitor any way that he wanted. Calvin's not as good as those two, but he's going to do the same exact thing. And it's going to be, you know, quick and, and violent and over quick. I will say we were just talking earlier on the show about what to do with Dan Kelly now that he beat Rashad Evans 
Uh, how about Kelvin Gastelum off a win here? I like that. Yeah. That's some good. You, you you've had some gems of matchmaking yeah, today. A little bit, a little bit better than the the ma- actual matchmakers. Kelvin <laughs> uh, Gastelum is the minus four hundred favorite. You can get Belfort as a plus three hundred dog. I'm gonna skip the co-main event. We'll come back to that. The okay. next most exciting fight is a lightweight offering, and it's Edson Barbosa versus Benil Darush. Darush, the plus one fifty dog. Barbosa, the slight minus one seventy favorite. Really, one of the most exciting strikers in the UFC. Who you got here, Gumby? I think I'm going to go with Dariush, actually, because I just think his grappling is enough in his ability to strike and get in close quarters. Um, because that's one thing King's MMA does really well with their fighters, and I think Barbosa's is still there. Um, I know he was thinking about moving when RDA moved, I think. Um, but he strikes really well to get in close range. So as long as he can get in on... Uh, Barboza and fight him in the phone booth, he's going to win this fight, uh, especially because I think his grappling is way better than Barboza's. Technically, the co-main event is Mauricio Shogun, who uh, who also should be retired, like Vitor Belfort versus Gian Volante. Who you got there? I actually think that this is like a coin flip of a match, though. I'm going to take Volante just because uh, he's got a little bit less mileage on the, the old uh, odometer, but... Uh, it wouldn't be surprised to watch Shogun win this one. All right, I'm kind of warming up to this card as we talk about it. There's some fun fights here at Flyweight. You have Juicy A Formiga versus our boy Ray Borg. I, I love Ray Borg, and this is going to be his toughest fight yet because I-, I think Formiga, if you look back at his record at Flyweight, I'm pretty sure the only fights he's lost in the UFC were title eliminator fights. I know he lost to Dodson in a title eliminator, Benavidez in a title eliminator, and Cejudo in a title eliminator, and he's beaten the next flyweight challenger in Wilson Hayes. So as much as I love Ray Borg and I love to watch Ray Borg, it's hard to pick him in this one. It is worth noting it was announced last night at UFC 209 that Wilson Hayes will be fighting Mighty Mouse in mid-April for the title. UFC Uh, on Fox 24. And that'll be free on Fox because no one would pay for that. They've learned their (laughs) lesson having Mighty Mouse headline cards. Another fun fight on the card, welterweight Alex Oliveira versus Tim the Dirty Bird Means. Yeah, this is the rematch of the one that Means was already winning pretty well until he threw that illegal knee. Uh, I think this one goes the same way minus the illegal knee. I think he takes pretty dominant control early and wins this one. Betch Correa, who is a 900,000 pay-per-view buy. <laughs> uh, on her record. It was probably only because I heard. Yes, exactly. Uh, we'll be fighting Marion Renault. Your thoughts? I'm, I'm going to go with Renault. I actually like her wrestling and her speed a little bit better here than Betch. Uh, and then this one's very interesting. Francisco Trinaldo on a seven-fight win streak at lightweight. Tell me <laughs> I, that. I, text, I texted Dave, uh, just so the listeners know. I texted Dave the other day. What if I told you that there was a lightweight not named Tony Ferguson or Habib on a seven-fight win streak, and he couldn't come up with the name, and it's because it's Francisco Trinaldo, ladies and gentlemen. And he will be fighting Kevin Lee. Who you got? I like Trinaldo here. I think Lee uh, does really well with grappling and wrestling, but he has found somebody who is bigger and stronger and more compact than him at that 55 weight class, and I don't think he's got anything for Francisco Trinaldo here. All right, and then that is actually basically the quote-unquote main event of the prelims, also on Fox Sports 1. Looking at the rest of the card, Gumby, give the listeners someone to look out for or a fight you're excited about. I'm really excited about Godofredo Pepe versus uh, Kyle Bochniak. Bochniak was a late fill-in for a fight a while ago, and he showed that he's super game. And Pepe has a win over Touchy Feely, uh, Andre Feely. Um, so that's a fun one. Uh, Davi Ramos just got signed as a fill-in for Sergio uh, for fighting against Sergio Moraes. 
If you do not know his grappling game, look at some of his Abu Dhabi highlights because they are absolutely insane. That guy. He had a flying armbar. That flying armbar from, I mean, his opponent was seated in like a, a seated position and he was standing and he flew for the armbar. It's crazy. Um, and apart from that, the only other one I'll point out on this one, you got to watch Ronnie Yea versus Joe Soto too. Really, really phenomenal grapplers. One in, an EBI veteran, and the other one, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, might have an Abu Dhabi championship or at least a top three finish. Um, so two of the best grapplers down there at Bantamweight, pure like submission grappler grapplers. And it is worth noting that there is an EBI uh, on Sunday night. We're taping before that EBI, but I'll just go ahead and give a spoiler alert. I think Gordon Ryan's going to win. I-, I think Gordon Ryan's going to win too, but I will say, uh, you know, just as kind of like a preview point, and, and this won't release until afterwards, so maybe my prediction will make me sound like an asshole. Having Olivier Taza on uh, the same side of the bracket as him is scary because what if they meet in the semis instead of the finals? What does Donaher even do? Taza is a Danaher Death Squad member, but I think of him more as the JV Danaher Death Squad yeah, member. But, I know he's but, good. But he's quickly rising. I mean, he recently won a local grappling match against Kyle Magalesh. Um He also won an invite in, in New York recently, which was, uh, I think it paid him some pretty good money. So he, he's quickly rising as far as the JV squad is concerned. I, I'll stick with my pick of Gordon Ryan. He's pretty unbeatable, but we'll find out, and we're taping before this happens. So check that out. This has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. You can catch us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You can email the show, MMA at Gmail. Give us a like. Give us a download. Subscribe. It helps keep the lights on at Top Turtle Podcast Studio. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. We'll be back next week.